Hey, Russell here at George Mason University. I'm here with Dr. Stephanie Benny from the Norwegian School of Sports Sciences to discuss the article titled, It's Not a Linear Thing. There are a lot of intersection, intersecting circles, factors influencing teachers' implementation of meaningful physical education. Uh, this article was recently published in the journal uh, Teaching and Teacher Education. And as always, you can find the full citation of the article in the notes. And as a special bonus, it is an open access article, so you can access that uh, just by following the citation. Um, so Stephanie, welcome to the podcast and thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks very much, Rachel. On behalf of uh, both myself and Dr. Tim Fletcher at Brock University in Canada and Dr. Jiren Ukrainen at Mary Immaculate College in Ireland, thanks so much for the opportunity to share a little bit about this paper. Absolutely. And I guess we can start off at the top. You talk about educational innovation. Can you start off by telling us what an educational innovation is and what it would look like in physical education? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so the purposes of this research, we basically defined an education as anything that's essentially an instrument of positive change. So something that helps to improve education, you know, in response to, to different changing landscapes. So that can be political, economic, uh, demographic, changes in technology, all these types of things. So, I mean, obviously those instruments of positive change, they can and, and do take a variety of forms. So it might be something like a pedagogical theory or both. It can be an instructional tool or practice, an innovative curriculum, you know, so on and so forth. I think in physical education, maybe um, the most obvious example, at least in, in recent years, of something innovative would be a model, such as board education, aim-centered approaches, or a, a pedagogical approach like the activist approach, those types of things. So um, I think, you know, those models and approaches have probably been the predominant focus of implementation research in the PE specifically in recent years. Okay. So, and I, and congratulations on the book again, um, but we've just discussed meaningful physical education approach on the podcast we you were uh grateful to share your experiences in a book club we did about it so some people might have heard about meaningful pe already but can you talk about um what it uh, what meaningful pe approach is and give kind of a backstory to this innovation and in pe yeah for sure so i'll i'll keep it brief because like you said we have talked about it a little bit before um and maybe i'll start with a bit of backstory so we can go kind of chronologically here in 2017, we conducted a review of literature on meaningful experiences in PE and youth sport. And, that was and at the time, you know, we were familiar with the writings of authors like Bob Kretschmar, Catherine Ennis, and others who were advocating for the importance of prioritizing meaningful experiences. And so when I'm talking about meaningful, you know, Kretschmar would define that as something that's personally significant. So, you know, we knew that there were authors that were advocating for that thing. This is important for students in PE, but we really didn't know a lot about how to actually make that happen in physical education classrooms and PE programs and so on. So we did this review of literature and basically it pointed to some potential features. I'm going to call them features of meaningfulness. So essentially things that young people were often citing as being quite central to experiences of physical education or youth sport that were meaningful for them. 
So for example, one of the things that came up a lot with young people was this idea of having positive social interactions with uh, their coach or their physical education teacher with their peers and so on. You know, they wanted to have fun. They wanted to have some sense of immediate enjoyment. They wanted to experience an appropriate level of challenge and so on. So there are, uh, you know, five or six things like that that came up repeatedly. So after that review, we started to, to kind of see if maybe we could use those features help to guide teacher-like planning and instructional decisions in a physical education practice to prioritize meaningful experiences. And so there was a variety of studies like that. I did some work in my, my own classroom there, so you got the teachers that sort of did that. And then you started to work with larger groups of teachers in different contexts. And from that, we developed a meaningful PE approach, which is what we've presented in the book, um, which I'll, I'll say is still very much a work in progress. And as they, uh, you know, work with teachers, we keep learning more. But essentially, it's an approach to PE instruction where meaningfulness becomes the prioritized filter for teachers' pedagogical decision making. So they don't, I'm going to make a really long story short, but essentially, we think that these types of, of meaningful experiences are often facilitated through democratic pedagogies. So this would be things like providing autonomy support, engaging students in decision-making processes and so on. And then also the idea of reflective pedagogies where students are given opportunities to engage in, you know, for example, uh, goal setting, different types of reflecting. You can kind of look back on those goals and, and sort of see where they've come from and where they're going and those types of things. And then those sort of provisional features of meaningful experience that I mentioned from that review, that idea of social interaction, bond, challenge, motor competence, personally relevant learning and delight, as well as others that students might identify as being important for them. Those can be used by teachers to help facilitate a shared language where the teachers and students can kind of collectively discuss and describe the quality of their experiences and then work toward experiences that might be meaningful for students in that classroom. So that's essentially uh, meaningful PE and a little bit of backstory in a nutshell. Thanks for sharing that. I know I, I love that the meaningful physical education approach actually shares explicitly with the students what that approach is. It's not like a, a teacher hiding their approach and trying to implement it. It's all of these um, steps that you're talking about, the um, you know, fun, enjoyment, social, uh, democratic education, autonomy, you're, these are all openly shared. Um, and again, I, I would really highly recommend anybody who's listening, if they want to learn more to read the book, it's really approachable. Um, it's uh, in paperback now uh, through Routledge. So enough for the plugs. Let me ask you an, uh, another question about the approach you did. Um, and I'm wondering if you're going to uh, explain what an actor-oriented approach is and how you used it in the current study. Yeah, so I think, at least in my mind, actual orientation is, is an approach to or, or I'll say a way of thinking about or framing implementation research. So traditionally, a lot of implementation research has been conducted from uh, an integrity-oriented perspective. So um, basically, it focuses on the extent to which teachers implement innovations with fidelity or the idea of, of them being true what the innovation designer intended for that innovation to look like. And maybe in PE, the most obvious example would be 
you know, fidelity in, in a model-based practice or probe. So, you know, looking at the extent to which teachers might meet the quote-unquote benchmarks or non-negotiable features of a model and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So in our case, with meaningful PE, and, it, you know, in light of the fact that we're working with teachers in this really early stage of the development of the approach, um, and then also the fact that, or this idea of, of meaningfulness as being quite subjective or transactional in its nature, they really intentionally positioned these ideas about meaningfulness as being kind of provisional and that we're still learning about it. Um, but also, you know, in that sense, requiring teachers to adapt them and use them in their context in a way that's going to work with their students. So we really wanting to have that flexibility. So I think for us, we really didn't feel that an integrity-oriented approach to implementation research was appropriate in this context. So, um, so we used an actor-oriented approach, which basically provides a, a different way of thinking about implementation research that kind of begins from the assumption that implementation is not just a linear process and that teachers, they will have to make adaptation to an innovation or to the way that it's being used in their individual classrooms. And from an, an actor-oriented perspective, those adaptations are, are viewed in a positive light where this can be insightful for us as researchers and quite valuable for the purpose of, you know, number one, identifying which elements or pieces of the innovation are going to be most important for student learning and for finding those meaningful experiences for students, but also for re refining the innovation. So making changes to the way that we're presenting and using meaningful PE based on the feedback that we're getting from the teachers. So for us, it becomes this kind of process of co-creation or co-adaptation with meaningful PE, you know, together with these teachers. So basically with act orientation, you know, we're a little bit less interested in the what of teachers' implementation, like what are they implementing? And we had, we took more of a focus on the how and the why of teachers' decision-making in the implementation process. And so trying to do that from more of a, you know, an interpretive rather than a judgmental point of view, that's kind of the idea behind act orientation and why we thought it was appropriate in this context. So how did you figure this out? Like, what can you give us an overview of the methods that you used in the study? So, yeah, so um, basically the, the plan or the intention for us in this product, in the project was to kind of understand teachers' experiences of implementing meaningful PE and the factors that were influencing their implementation-related decisions. So we really wanted to prioritize their, you know, the teachers' voices. We worked with a group of 12 teachers in Canada um, and Ontario across two school years. And so we started in the first year with a group of five teachers. Uh, three of those teachers continued with us into the second year. The other two weren't teaching PE anymore at that point. And then in the second year, we added another seven teachers. We worked with a group of 10 in a year or two. And so basically what we did was we introduced the teachers to the meaningful PE at the start of their involvement. So whether that was, you know, for the beginning of the first year or the second year. And then we supported them with a continuous professional development initiative that was based largely around the idea of a community of practice. Um, and then in terms of our data collection, we conducted interviews with each teacher before, during, and after the implementation process in both years. 
Um, and then secondly, we recorded our community of practice meeting conversations with the teachers as a data source. And then finally, we conducted non-participant observations in the teacher's classroom. Uh, and so then we used um, this particular kind of implementation research framework from Century and Kusada, where they have these areas of influence. We use that to guide our, our approach to the implementation, but also sort of uh, us making sense of the teacher's experiences in our analysis. Um, so this framework basically considers a, you know, a broader array of factors that can influence the implementation process. So that's both the, the characteristics of the teachers themselves as end users of the innovation, but also considering a bunch of things that might be beyond the teacher's control, organizational environmental factors, the actual innovation itself and, and the attributes of the innovation, the implementation support strategies that we offer to teachers, and then just the factor of time, what implementation looks like over time, like basically how and I mean, thanks, we worked with those students for two years. I will say the second year was cut a little bit short. Yeah. And, and so as a point of clarification, these teachers, although they had a, a varying amount of experience, they hadn't learned about model, uh, meaningful PE before you brought them in. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. None of the teachers in the study had had learned about meaningful PE before. Basically, we put out a call within the school board saying, you know, we're interested in working with anyone who's teaching PE who might be interested in this concept of meaningfulness. So all the teachers obviously were coming voluntarily and something about this piqued their interest, but it wasn't a concept that any of them would have been familiar with before starting to work with us in this project. Okay, so how did the teachers then conceptualize the meaningful PE approach? Yeah, so all of the teachers that we were interested in the study, basically they felt that the approach generally made sense to them. There wasn't anything that was perplexing or confusing, um, and there was no reference to anything that that might be inaccessible. So um, they didn't feel that there was anything that, you know, this is too difficult or something that can't be done or anything like that. A lot of them came to view the approach as being um, quite linear in the sense that sorry, non-linear, in the sense that they saw a lot of overlap between meaningful PE and other things that were priorities for them in their teaching practice and their approach and things like that. So in that way, you know, some of them thought is really enabling them to accomplish a lot of things, whether curricular objectives or, you know, being similar to a lot of the teachers in the study used TGFU a lot and so they saw similarities there and things like that. And one of the things that they really valued a lot about the meaningful PE approach was that flexible sort of nature where there was a lot of room for them to implement it in a way that was sensitive to their context, to the needs of their students, and so on. In terms of how they came to conceptualize the approach, um, their perceptions tended to be shaped by, I mean, obviously by our presentation of meaningful PE in the way that we explained it to the teachers, but also a lot by the implementation process itself. So I would say that their conceptions of meaningful PE tended to change over time um, as they worked towards, you know, translating these ideas into practice in their classrooms. And also, you know, we, we used the community of practice-based approach, and so I think it was also shaped a lot by their interactions by their colleagues 
and it, with their colleagues in the ways that colleagues were using the approach in their classroom. So basically, the, you know, the question of, of how they conceptualize meaningful PE, I think it was a dynamic process where those conceptions were changing over time, but um, all of the teachers in the study responded quite positively to the approach, although they sometimes conceived it in, in slightly different ways. And, and so in the findings, you present three factors that influence teachers' decisions while they're implementing the meaningful PE approach. I wonder if you can start off by just telling us how um, or about how their uh, prior experiences and beliefs influence this process. Yeah, that was a really, uh, really huge factor in the implementation process. And it wasn't particularly surprising to us. You know, it's not a novel finding in implementation research or research around teachers' professional learning that their prior beliefs and experiences, you know, influence how they come to something innovative. Um, for most of the teachers in this study, they saw meaningful PE as aligning quite closely to their beliefs about what physical education ought to be. And consequently, you know, they saw it as being quite resonant with or similar to their current practice. So we had a lot of comments like, oh, you know, I already do most of these things in my teaching practice. So because of that, um, you know, some of the teachers saw their implementation of meaningful PE as being sort of a, a source of validation for their teaching practice. So it kind of gave some legitimacy to what it is that they do or, or provided this idea of like collegial validation where they felt that PE was undervalued by their colleagues or even by parents of students and things like that. In spite of seeing meaningful PES being um, closely aligned to their beliefs and practices, there definitely were times throughout, you know, this three-year process where that was challenged. And I think one of the most common areas of, of tension, if I can call it that here, was this, the idea of the inclusion of reflective pedagogies in meaningful PE, because the teachers tended to see their their primary role or responsibility as PE teachers as being to keep the students active, safe, and having fun, or kind of an idea of, of what classic called busy, happy, and good, you know? So at times they viewed taking time for reflection in PE as being contrary to that responsibility that they have to keep the students active and make sure they're having fun at all times in PE. They kind of saw reflection as being something that threatens to, to steal precious movement moments from the students. So, you know, some of the teachers uh, weren't really interested in taking time to reflect, but others kind of looked at this conflict and said, okay, well, I'm going to maybe challenge some of my assumptions here and look to prioritize reflection a little bit more, at least in some PE lessons. Um, but oftentimes, you know, this ended up being more challenging to translate into practice than they had anticipated. So in spite of wanting to make the change, some of them found that they were constantly reverting back to this sort of desire or, or almost like an impulse to prioritize movement time at all times. Right. Um, you know, so there were some challenges there, but in spite of those challenges, all of the teachers were able to point to changes in their practice that had occurred over time as a result of implementing meaningful PE. And I think one of the most commonly cited changes was quite simply just the idea of becoming more intentional and explicit about prioritizing meaningfulness 
for their students. So, you know, although they believed that these things before and they felt like this aligned with their beliefs and philosophy about PE, they also felt that meaningful PE gave them a sort of framework that could help sort of guide being more intentional and, and more explicit about focusing on meaningfulness and making sure those things were actually being prioritized in their classrooms, that more than just an idea or belief, they were more consistently putting these things into practice. Yeah, and, and one of the cool um, pieces you have in the paper, you have table one, where you summarized the opinion on the purpose of PE at the outset of research. And there's so many times when these teachers have put fun as you know priority in there and i know you and and tim have talked about fun being a part of learning but not sufficient for learning and the difference between fun and joy and delight and all of these different factors and i could understand having a lot of these teachers coming in with the prior experiences and then you know pedagogical change is super super tough changing teachers Minds yeah. are super tough, and we know, like socialization research, that even in PEEP programs, we often can't change uh, a person's pre-existing beliefs in the time we have with them. So I'm sure that that has a lot to play with the prior experiences. Um, I'm I'm curious yeah. about the second factor. I know you didn't collect student data, so you couldn't use the student quotes that you heard in the. Um, in your observations, but you mentioned the teachers' perceptions of students' responses to the approach. Can you talk about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, this was a really huge, huge factor in the teachers' decision making. That you know they were kind of reading their students and, and wanting to be sensitive to how their students were reacting to implementation or even how they perceived that their students might react. That was a really big factor for the teachers. So for some of the teachers, you know, obviously, um, well, not obviously, some, we did have um, some teachers who were responsible for teaching different things, but most of the teachers in this study were PE specialists. So they knew their students because they had taught them for several years in a row. So knowing their students so well, for some of the teachers, it meant deciding before you know, they even began implementing the approach, which aspects would work and which ones wouldn't with particular groups of students. So, for example, um, he had some teachers in the study who were working with students who were on individualized education plans. So, um, you know, something that was heavily adapted for these particular students. Or we had some teachers who were working with students who were still working on learning English as a second language and the teachers, you know, only speaking English. So, you know, some of these teachers knew right off the hop, we're not going to be engaging these students in any written reflections, which is, is fine. You know, verbal reflections can work as well. And so just kind of making some of those adaptations to their specific context right away. Um, and then the teachers in the study also recognized that you know, in the same way that implementation of an animation required a big adjustment on the part of teachers, and like you're just saying, there, so like it takes a lot of time for teachers to to make changes like this in their classrooms. But in the same way, you know, the teachers were very sensitive to the fact that this can also be a really big change for students. 
who have often become accustomed to things in physical education being done a certain way. And so they really wanted this to be a smooth transition and a smooth process for their students and to, you know, be sensitive to the fact that, that this might be a little bit jarring for them. And they recognize that this is something that's going to take patience, it's going to take time, and it's going to take easing students into some of this. So unsurprisingly, of course, when the teachers perceived that their students were reacting positively, they were certainly inclined to continue or to ramp up their implementation of the approach. And uh, really, by the end of the implementation process, every teacher in a study perceived that their implementation of meaningful PE had resulted in, in some sort of valuable outcome or outcome for their students. So seeing changes in their students over time, you know, that was something that led many of the teachers to feel like, hey, this is something that I'm going to continue with. That's going to become a part of my regular practice, even beyond the length of the study, you know, um, which obviously it's not something that we've studied. We don't know the extent to which they've carried on, but there was certainly an intention for a lot of them to do so as a result of seeing positive changes in their students. But, you know, not all of the student responses were always positive. And at times, particularly when the teacher's implementation of meaningful PE was, you know, strikingly different from what the students had previously experienced, especially where students were accustomed to a very sport-based approach to PE, sometimes the students kind of pushed back, at least right away. They weren't keen on having this new experience of PE that they felt was different. And that was quite challenging for the teachers uh, to work through, to work through feeling there was this resistance from their students. Well, it was something that often improved over time. The other major challenge there was when students were behaving poorly in physical education, which was often caused by existing behavioral issues, particularly in, in one of the schools that we were working with this was a real challenge and although it wasn't related you know to the it's not like they were reacting because they didn't like meaningful PE they were acting the way they would normally act in PE but when their behavior was inappropriate it made it very hard for the teachers to actually focus on making changes to their practice because they were so consumed with having to deal with classroom management so you know on a positive note the teachers working in those contexts often did feel that for students with a lot of behavioral challenges, when you know when they worked through implementing meaningful PE, there was something helpful there in those reflective elements that it, it gave students an opportunity and some language to be able to express some of that frustration and those challenges rather than just you know reacting out of their emotions. And then together they could work to more towards more positive experiences. But of course, that was something that, that was quite challenging for the teachers across, you know, the duration of the implementation process there. So even though there were some challenges there, like I mentioned, all of the teachers in the study ultimately felt that implementing meaningful PE ended up benefiting their students in some way, in different ways, in different contexts. And I think that was really key to, to many of them expressing a desire um, to continue implementing the approach in the future, but sometimes, you know, in different ways and to different extents based on their context. And so in your third part, you talked about external organization, uh, organizational pressures. Um, so I'm wondering if you can talk about how those 
external organizational pressures influence the implementation of this approach with the teachers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that that acted as external pressures, but the three primary things that the teachers spoke about were number one, their responsibility to teach the formal curriculum. Number two, managing the demands that would be placed on their time. And then three, um, administrative and organizational decision-making that they really had little control over. So in relation to the curriculum, the teachers had different perceptions about the extent to which meaningful PE aligned with the provincial curriculum document. Some of them, um, you know, they kind of saw this as something that they had to attend to in addition to the curriculum. So I'm already responsible for the curriculum. Now I have to think about meaningful PE on top of that. Like, for example, one of the teachers in the study said she really wasn't going to prioritize engaging students in reflection because, you know what, that's not something that she has to actually assess students on. So she couldn't justify spending time on that. But then there were other teachers in the study who who looked at meaningful PE against the curriculum and they saw so much alignment that they felt like, you know, implementing meaningful PE actually helps me to reach curricular objectives. It's something that facilitates um, the curriculum and that sort of thing. And what's really interesting here is that all of these teachers are teaching from the same curriculum. They're all from Ontario. They're all using the Ontario curriculum. So the differences here were really in their perceptions of alignment on misalignment and how that then played out in the decisions they were making about their implementation of meaningful PE. And then the second factor there was time. And of course, that wasn't surprising to us. We know that time is a factor for teachers who are often quite busy and have a lot of things to balance. Um, but, you know, they needed time in their daily timetable. Like, for example, teachers who were responsible for teaching other courses um, in addition, the PE felt that it was really difficult to find time to plan for PE. But then they also needed uh, time, like in, in terms of, of long-term, big picture. They needed time to feel comfortable with implementing uh, the animation in their classroom. So generally speaking, teachers who participated in both years, they felt quite confident that they could continue to implement this on their own. But for those teachers who started with us in the second year, they really felt like another year of support would have just helped them to make this more permanent change in their classroom. So, you know, going back to that idea of the fact that teachers do need a long time to make these changes, lasting changes in their practice. And then lastly, um, you know, they were looking for support from their administration and the decisions that were being made on their behalf. So. This might be things like timetabling issues, or of course, you know, every PE teacher has experienced that last minute announcement that the gym is not going to be available for today or whatever it might be. And when these things were happening over and over and over again, it made it quite challenging for teachers to really be able to focus on making changes to their practice and implementing something innovative in their approach. Of course, the most profound and influential, you know, administrative decisions that affected the teachers in the city were, first of all, we experienced a series of work to rule sanctions and province-wide labor negotiations. And at one point, the teachers were no longer allowed to participate in anything related to professional development. And then soon after that, we had the mandated closure of schools and a transition to online learning in response to COVID-19. So 
obviously these are circumstances that will well beyond the control of the teachers and our research team. I think the real frustration for the teachers and all of this was recognizing that a disruption like this to their professional learning is likely to result in that learning and that progress that they've at times they've invested really being lost in the sense that they felt like there would be a tendency to revert to old habits when all was said and done because they didn't have enough time to really um, feel like, like they were going to be able to make lasting changes to their practice after all was said and done. Yeah, and I, and I thought about this, like innovation precedes policy. And in this case, if policy is your curriculum, the provincial curriculum, but if that policy doesn't necessitate like adhering to the innovation, then your innovation's going to lag. You know, like the talk about reflection. Like you want them to re reflect as a part of this educational innovation that you're trying to enact. But the policies don't ask them to assess on this reflection. And then the teacher doesn't, you know, they, they have to like be a champion for this innovation and go above and beyond to make that change. And I guess that's why the educational change is so tough if it's not mandated in a way that they're not held accountable for it. Absolutely. But then if you don't, like you can't hold people accountable for something that's not evidence-based. I mean, people do that all the time, but if you think about it, like, like integration of academic subjects into the PE setting, there's not a ton of research to it, but it's being implemented. But like here in meaningful PE, there's no policy for that to force them to uh, assess on reflection. And if it's not happening, then then it's almost like it's a, a, it's a disjointed, disconnected endeavor, right? And I think then for those of us who are doing implementation research or, you know, working towards innovations that'll be used in PE, I think a huge takeaway from that is this idea of, because there were teachers who saw, oh, this is absolutely connected to the curriculum and to what I assess and those things. It's helping teachers to make those connections to their policy documents and, and seeing ways that, hey, this can actually help. It might not say you need to have the students reflect on this or that, but it doesn't mean that it's not something that can help to reach, you know, curricular objectives and these types of things. So I think helping teachers, especially, I think, you know, teachers in a city who had a lot of experience and felt more comfortable making those connections, but teachers who are, who are still kind of getting used to teaching and working through so many things, there needed to be a little bit more support in, in drawing more explicit connections between the policies that they are responsible and accountable for and how, you know, this innovation might actually help in that capacity or in that way. Yeah. So I guess the last question I have is about the implications of your research. So how, how does this research support continuing professional development or implementation research? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a lot in this research that resonates with a broader body of literature on implementation and on teachers' professional learning, you know, both in PE and, and more broadly in education. Um, you know, I think it highlights the importance of, of number one, supporting teachers in making a sense of innovations in relation to their prior beliefs and experiences, as well as those policy documents, like we were just saying. Um, also, it points to, you know, the, the need to value teachers' 
perspective in both the design and implementation of educational innovations. And, you know, that process of, of co-creation that we were talking about before was really, really valuable for us as researchers. And, you know, third, just considering the interplay between all these different factors, there is that personal piece, but there's also the organizational and the contextual factors that are influencing the implementation process that kind of go beyond those personal factors. In terms of, of what this research is, is contributing to the literature, I think first of all, and I didn't really talk a lot about it here, but we talked about it in the paper, how I mentioned we use centering thought spheres of influence to guide the research and the analysis of it. And that really helped us to consider uh, a broader array of influences which I think they found that to be quite valuable as a starting point for implementation research. Uh, but at the same time, that that framework doesn't include the role of students. And so we, we kind of caution there that that's something that definitely needs to be considered based on how teachers in the study were reacting. Mm -hmm. So while these are not particularly novel findings, I do think that this research provides some insight on how the specific attributes of the innovation itself and then their presentation within the boundary of physical education expectations really influences implementation. And it, it points to the need to pay attention to the context and the, the content of the innovation and sort of the interplay between those. So, you know, again, going back to this idea of reflection, a lot of the teachers, even at the end of the study, they remained unconvinced that we really need to prioritize reflection, PE, and so on, and they used it quite selectively, but it wasn't because they didn't see value in reflection as an educational experience. In fact, a lot of these teachers used reflection in other content areas or in other classes that they taught. But based on their interpretation of its relative value within the context of PE, there was a bit of a disconnect there where they thought it, you know, it's really important or it's often emphasize that we need to maximize students and the BPA and, and these types of things, and that needs to be prioritized. So they were struggling to see the value in, or the potential value of fan reflection in physical education. But, you know, we know that becoming aware of the value of an experience and making connections between experiences, past, present, and future, these are central ideas and theories of meaningfulness and its contribution to learning. So, you know, even in the context of PE, reflection has been shown to help students make sense of and find value in their learning experiences. So we have this kind of perceived conflict here between the content of the innovation where we're placing an emphasis on reflection and the context in which it's being implemented where there is this, and this constant emphasis on activity time and PE and how that's influencing teachers' implementation. And not that we were asking the teachers to you know, sit in students for half an hour or anything crazy like that. But there's just kind of this interplay, I guess, between innovation content and context that I think really needs to be considered in introducing teachers to innovation and in educational implementation research. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, thank, thank you so much for sharing your research. I think it's super interesting because, you know, we talked about this in, in journals in 1980s about the busy, happy, good process but it's still replaying here you're trying something different and you're building off of Kretschmark's works and Metheny's work to kind of figure out this you know approach framework structure to make PE better for students but then the busy happy good still keeps coming up like 40 mm -hmm. 50 years later of you know 
trying to like stall the stuff that we want to do and how how does it interplay with the policies that are in and how do those policies restrict innovation so i i i love that you also published this in teaching and teacher education um it's it's cool that it goes to a wider audience um i've just gotten rejection letters from there so i'm still striving <laughs> to get there but i think it's important for us to like share the pe research in the wider teaching and teacher teacher education research and i know that that journal has a high rejection rate for PE stuff because I know a lot of my colleagues try to publish there and it just doesn't seem uh, meaningful enough for that journal for, for us to publish, but you're breaking through. So it says a lot about, about your work. So um, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. And so that's all we have for you on this one. Um, I want to thank all the Rodriguez again for the help and producing this podcast and the article that we just discussed is in the show notes. You can uh, follow that link and uh, look it up because it's open access. You can read it. Thanks for listening.